What's up, OUXers? This conversation that I'm about to share with you is so bonkers. It's just Harrison and I going back and forth, rapid fire. My list of questions totally went out the window if my podcast booth had a window. I just I, I ignored my list of questions completely uh, because we were just going back and forth, just riffing about object-oriented thinking and how he's using it with his team at LinkedIn. So Harrison Wheeler is a senior design manager at LinkedIn, and he's also the host of Technically Speaking, which is a podcast about BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists sharing their unique stories of triumph and resilience at the intersection of product design. So personally, uh, I actually really enjoyed his interview with Kat Velos. Uh, Check that one out and just make sure to subscribe to his podcast. So I've got a bit of a backstory on how Harrison and I connected, but first, just a few announcements for you, just two, two important announcements. First, you probably already know what's coming, UX Hustle Summit is upon us. That is happening virtually next Friday and Saturday, that's September 24th and 25th in the year 2021. Uh, The theme this year is future-proofing your design career, and the speakers are bringing it. So Jared Spool and Vincent Braithwaite are keynoting and talking to separate keynotes, uh, opening and closing keynotes, respectively. And they're both talking about what they've learned in their extensive experience in UX education about what makes a future-proof career. So these are totally new talks for both of them. Um, I'm bringing some totally new content as well uh, that you can only get at the UX Hustle Summit about how to future-proof your career with a simple three workshop series that helps you make information architecture more fun and collaborative. Of course, this is all centered around object-oriented UX, but this series of workshops, I have never uh, shared this before. I'm only going to be sharing it at the UX Hustle Summit. So it's about how to bring stakeholders in, make information architecture fun and collaborative, uh, a prioritization workshop to basically help you prioritize to that really solid first launch and how to spin up your own relational database prototype for validation with the developers and also for getting real content in. So it's very practical, very tactical, um, and really simple too. Um, So really just outlining this series of three workshops. I'm just super excited to share it. So you'll only be able to get it at the UX Hustle Summit. So if you use the link in the show notes, you'll get 20% off making this amazing event only $147. So if you learn one thing that helps you create a more self-directed and resilient career, don't you think that that would be worth it? Don't you think you'd get a good ROI on that? So you'll also, you'll get not only the experience that happens over the course of these two days, uh, it's two half days, so it's very consumable. Um, You won't get that kind of virtual conference burnout. We've really chunked it up nicely. I should say Amanda's really chunked it up nicely. Um, You'll get all the recordings. You'll get sketch notes, professionally done sketch notes, and also Lisa Lombardi, fellow OUXer, I believe, is doing um, Notion notes as well. So you'll get all of that with your ticket price. So make sure to make it to year four of what is still the only UX career conference. Check out the link in the show notes to get that 20% off. Oh, and if you are a student, it's only 97 bucks. So make sure to don't use my discount. Oh, maybe you can use my discount with the student discount. I'm not sure. Give that a try. <laughs> but um, it is uh, only $97 if you are a student. Okay. Announcement two before we get into our conversation. I just want to let you know that we have officially introduced group pricing for the self-paced masterclass. So this is the online course. It's 22 hours. It is all the content that you get and all the templates and everything that you get in the certification, it's just self-paced. Um, and you know, it doesn't have the, the white glove treatment that you get in the certification. But now what we have is kind of like a create your own cohort plan. So if you want, like if you're a design manager and you want, or you're just a designer and you want to bring on some other designers onto this, if you want three or more people trained, you'll get a highly discounted rate as well as I throw in 
uh, office hours for you. So you'll get one-on-one office, or actually it'll be like one-on-three or one-on-four office hours with me. And um, and I'm also going to give you a bunch of advice on how to sort of create your own internal cohort of a combination of asynchronous and group learning. Um, so if you're interested in this, please just schedule a call with me using my Calendly link. That's calendly.com slash Sophia VUX slash opportunity. I will also, of course, put that link in the show notes as well. Okay, so bit of a backstory on on how I connected with Harrison. So um, we're actually talking, um, this conversation that I'm going to share with you, we're talking because Harrison came to a ton of the same conclusions that I've come to totally independently, and he's working to implement object-oriented principles at LinkedIn. Um, so he's been thinking about this uh, you know, in, in his way for a long time, as well as I've been thinking about it for a long time. And we just, it just makes me think about how many other people are out there that are thinking this way, um, and I still haven't gotten an opportunity to connect with. So he wrote an article on LinkedIn called Object-Oriented Design for Product Designers. And uh, Lucy Cates, shout out to Lucy Cates, tagged me in that. Um, ironically, she Lucy also works at LinkedIn as a product designer. Um, but she saw it, maybe because she was following Harrison, I guess, maybe because LinkedIn. Anyways, um, she saw this article. She tagged me. says, hey, this looks like a lot like Object Journey UX. I jumped in there, read the article, was like, yes, 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 yes. It was incredibly validating. Uh, so we, Harrison and I, jumped on a call um, before we recorded this podcast interview and we're just like finishing each other's sentences um, and just whipping each other up into a frenzy of uh, geeking out about object drawing UX. So put the pause on that conversation. I was like, all right, we got to do a podcast. We got to record this. So um, super, super excited to share this with you. Um, we're just, it's again, like I said, so validating to hear how he's using object oriented UX and his work and how it is helping him collaborate with his team members, how it's like just helping them wrangle coll- complexity and making everything click together. So of course, I'm going to share the link to that article as well in the show notes, but enough talking. Let's, let's enough, enough of talking with just me. Let's go talk to Harrison. Welcome to the Object Oriented UX podcast, a podcast about tackling complexity head on, gracefully organizing massive amounts of information, and designing scalable, future proof, and of course, naturally intuitive object oriented user experiences. An OUXer is a powerful blend of information architect, business analyst, facilitator, and UX strategist. If this sounds like you or what you aspire to, you are so in the right place. I'm Sophia Prater, UX designer, chief evangelist of Objector UX, and your host. Let's jump into it. Harrison Wheeler, <laughs> welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the OUX podcast. Hey, Sophia. Thanks for having me here. It's, it's a little bit early where I'm at right now, but it just goes to show how excited I am to talk about object-oriented UX. Yes, it is um, 6.20 where you are. Yeah. It's only not, it's 920 where I am, but I, so my brain is still booting up, but I think that we'll be, um, yeah, we'll be running on the OAUX fumes, um, yeah. and also probably some caffeine as well. All right. So you've been at LinkedIn for over four years now, um, yeah. forever in tech time, and you've been kind <laughs> of moving steadily from senior UXer to roles with more and more responsibility, progressively more responsibility. Um, And you were actually recently promoted to product design senior manager. um, Mm -hmm. And that is on, what's the name of your team? Is it, it's marketing solutions? It's marketing solutions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, for folks that aren't familiar, LinkedIn is more than just, you know, networking. Uh, We have a number of different like enterprise experiences around like learning, recruiting, sales, uh, and, and obviously marketing. So uh, that's pretty much most of, you know, the companies that you interact with uh, from company pages to sponsored in-mail, things on the feed, um, and then how to launch campaigns. So it's a pretty, pretty wide range of, of experiences that uh, we really focus on on LMS. So you're doing more of that, those B2B tools, which yeah. 
often have all of the complexity rolled up into them. Um, I have, I haven't done any ads on LinkedIn yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I have dabbled in Facebook ads just a little bit, just, just kind of scratch the surface. And I don't know if you've done any competitive analysis, but, uh, Facebook, Facebook has got some serious issues, uh, with their whole ads manager. Um, so can you kind of tell us about what you do at LinkedIn, but specifically like what your biggest challenges are at LinkedIn? What are you, what are you focusing on? Yeah. Well, I I think, I think, uh, maybe kind of Facebook can probably be in the same kind of category. Uh, you know, we're, we're a platform with an organic experience. So we have a consumer experience as well as that enterprise. Right. And so some of the challenges is like, how do we sort of keep a lot of that, that same experience? How do we, you know, how do we sort of have this relationship that's already established from folks that have been on the platform already into our software, right? Also, I mean, we have completely different, uh, we have completely different sort of user groups, right? Mm. Uh, as you know, LinkedIn is a professional uh, website. We do a lot of focus on in terms of B2B. Uh, and so the content is a little bit different. The use cases are a little bit different. Um, and so it's really kind of understanding that uh, along with, you know, balancing things that are common in the industry. Um, I think also as you're starting to build a tool, I mean, LinkedIn is a, is a huge platform. I think there's over eight, close to 800 million folks on it globally. Um, and, you know, we're growing. I mean, our, our membership is growing. And so the needs of our members, the needs of our, our advertisers are expanding. And so the scale in our offerings are always changing. Uh, so really kind of how do you balance a lot of that is, is a really big part of it. How do you play a strategic role uh, in terms of, you know, kind of thinking about uh, building experiences as well? Uh, so it's, it's really all across the board. Um, and I think also for us, I mean, you know, LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft. And so Microsoft has, uh, is, is very passionate about building uh, you know, experiences that are accessible for everyone. And so accessibility is always top of mind as well. And so it's just one of those things that is really ingrained in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the ever expanding world of design and the things we, we need to sort of keep our head on a swivel, uh, as well as consider, um, is something that we're always expanding, we're learning and applying to the work that we do. Hey, y'all, one more quick nudge to make a small investment in time and money for your career. Block out the afternoon of Friday the 24th and a few hours on Saturday the 25th to join us at the only UX career conference, the UX Hustle Summit. Join from the comfort of your own home. It is an amazing lineup that is guaranteed to help you create a more intentional and resilient career. This is not an hours-long Zoom call, okay? We are using Hopin, which is software specific for virtual conferences, and it's a totally different experience. It's rich, it's engaging, it's personal, and still no pants required. So we've got networking sessions that are introvert-friendly, awesome giveaways, and some of our sponsors are actually hiring and on the lookout. So if you use the link in the show notes, like I said before, you will get 20% off making this potentially life-changing event only $147. So you'll get all the recordings, you'll get those sketch notes, you'll also get Notion notes. So make sure to make it to year four of what is still the only UX career conference. Okay, back to Harrison. So we might be getting into permissions later. We'll see. We'll see if we get into permissions, but you just kind of touched on something that I think one of those challenges that so many, so many folks deal with is you have a user who is constantly kind of role switching. Like they might be in LinkedIn as a a job seeker or just Mm -hmm. as their, their own, like representing themselves personally, posting something personally, and then on a dime, like swivel the, swivel the office chair and they need to put on the, the hat of their company representative or yeah. the recruiter, um, especially probably in small businesses too, you might have mm-hmm. somebody playing multiple different roles and yeah. needing to switch between those roles. And yeah. and what we'll probably get into later is kind of how the objects will transition between those roles. So I could be looking at an ad um, and depending on 
how the system is seeing me, I might be able to do different things to that ad. Um, yeah based on my relationship. Did I create that ad? Did I I click on that ad? Am I, is this ad personalized to me? Um, so, or did you, did you even, you may have created a piece of content that you can now sponsor, right? It's still Mm -hmm. in essence, the same object. Yes. And I know Facebook is dealing with that. I mean, that's a huge, huge issue for me as a user on Facebook. There's the ability Mm -hmm. to, you can create an ad or you can promote a post. And it's really unclear. I mean, even after using like a lot of my slow thinking (laughs) and like, you know, going very deliberately trying to read and try to understand the difference between promoting a post is creating an ad. It's not clear. It is not. You have that kind of like overlapping of objects, like this, this Hmm. squishy gray area of, is it a post? Is it an ad? Is it something in between? Can I convert a post into an ad? Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. So at LinkedIn, do you do you deal with similar things like that? Yeah, you know that that's a really interesting. Uh, I love that. I think that's actually a really interesting point um, around objects, right? And I think I think it's almost kind of around like the perspective. And I think maybe one of the things that you're thinking about is the sophistication of a lot of these, like these tools, these enterprise tools were really like originally were probably set specifically for folks that worked in this field. Right. And what we're seeing in the industry is that this democratization, anyone can set up a Shopify store. Anyone can have their own, you know, their own sort of education, right. Have their own webinars, run their Mm -hmm. own trainings, Sophie, I'm sure this is something that probably is close to you. Like you're not a big enterprise, mm-hmm. right? And so the ways that you interact with the objects, you you might be coming into it with a whole other different lens. Um, but underlying, like they're they're technically the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So we can almost think of it as the lens, the jargon. How do people kind of, you know, how, how do they see this in there, the way that they think and their mental models and how they approach and interact with it? There's so much of that that's important to understand. Um, and so I, I think we, we discussed this kind of briefly. It's like even the jargon and how people perceive things uh, can create a whole other, you can go down a whole other path here that how do you course correct, right? Um, maybe how do you have those conversations internally versus externally? I was just talking to... Um to a client of mine and they're, they're working on some enterprise level supply chain software. Mm. And there's something called a purchase requisition. Mm. A purchase requisition is basically a product that I've said I want. Yeah. <laughs> I basically told the supplier, like, this is a product. And like, can you get me this product? And when can you get this product to me? Yeah. When I request a product, like, really it's taken a verb and nounified that verb. So mm. it's really what I'm doing is I'm requesting a product, yeah. but it turns into a purchase requisition. Yeah. And like, to me, I was like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. Maybe we can just call it a product <laughs> and there's a re- request product button. And once you request yeah. the product, now you have a the product is in the status of requested, but there's so many industry standards around it. Yeah. And all the other software calls it a purchase requisition. Like there's the PR mm-hmm. and the PR turns into the purchase order line item. And, mm-hmm. and like, that's just known within the industry. So you really have to strike that balance of like, yeah. where is the jargon so ingrained and, or mm-hmm. where can we kind of like play with labeling a little bit and make it actually a little bit more user-friendly because yeah. we might have somebody who's, you know, creating their own enterprise basically yeah. from the ground up. Well, I, and, I th- and I think that's where you see a lot of disruption, right? Um, you know, before LinkedIn, I was at a company called Base, where I was a designer there, but then I also uh, built and managed that team. Um, and our biggest, I, I feel like one of our biggest things at the time was our user experience. Like the fact that you could, it, we simplified it so much that you could use it on mobile. You didn't have to go through 5,000 screens. And um I think we're a little bit past that time, but I think it shows how design was disruptive in the industry at that point. I will say to your point, as most, as, as many people are starting to realize like, Hey, I can do this. I can go to market. There are people that, you know, want this. I now have the means to communicate with them and bring them in. 
we don't want to talk about purchase requisitions. Like we don't want to, we just want to get our, we just, we need to do what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, it's really interesting. I think getting to sort of like the heart of it, and this is what I love about design. Like there are fundamental parts of design that just never change, right? There's, there's certain things that will always resonate with people. Mm-hmm. And so I think getting to like the, the center of that is, is huge. I mean, it can reap so many benefits because now people don't have to like sift through all this stuff to understand it. Can you imagine how much time it probably took for someone to train to understand that verbiage? Mm-hmm. And I mean, not even time, probably dollars and cents. They probably were sitting in a room. They probably had a huge manual, probably going to conferences Uh, and you know, there's another app out there that someone could use right away. They have a compelling product and now they they're probably bringing in more revenue than some of these companies. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to, to really kind of think about the benefits of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, what a, what a balancing act and a push pull. I mean, you probably have users using your tool that that is their profession Mm-hmm. is they are they are marketing professionals they might even have a marketing degree they've been yeah. in the industry for 15 years like they are in facebook ads linkedin ads twitter ads they're doing it all day they're a social media yeah <laughs> ads manager yeah. right and then you have somebody like me coming in being like yeah I want to advertise my course on linkedin um <laughs> which is you know in my near future probably um yeah. And, and I don't have a marketing degree. I don't know what, yeah. like, like, what does a campaign mean really? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you, you tell, you tell me, I, I actually, it's really interesting. Like you tell me like, what has been your experience so far, just kind of running, running campaigns? I mean, has it been something that you've been able to just pick up and do, or no. have you no. just have to go through a bunch of training. <laughs> I've been doing some, yeah, I've been doing some courses, some online courses from yeah. other social, um, you know, social media gurus to mm. kind of get the ropes. Um, lots of like YouTubing to figure out. I mean, yeah. Facebook ads is where I've started. Um, and really we've just barely scratched the surface. We've probably spent sure. less than $300 on Facebook ads. Mm. Like we've done, I am proud to say that the uh, that OUX has been word of mouth so far. We've yeah. been done doing very little formal advertising. It's probably about three hundred dollars, and it is definitely not pick it up and use it. I probably would have spent more mm. um, if it was more pick it up and use it, and um, d- definitely the analytics on it, trying to tell like what's working, what's not working. Um, that's re- very. Um, obtuse to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. it's, it has not been a good experience. And I think one of the main issues um, that Facebook is seeing is these silos um, <clears throat> where there's these overlapping functionalities. So they mm-hmm. have, um, there's like the Facebook business suite and yeah. then and you're not nodding. So, you know, there's Facebook business yeah. suite and then there's Facebook ads manager Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of overlapping functionality in those two environments. Yeah. And I never know where, like, where should I be here? Not only like, is this a poster? Is this an ad? Like, what's the difference between Facebook ad manager and Facebook business suite? Um, and then they just introduced, have you seen the creator studio? Yeah. So that, so yeah, I, so there's sort of like that. And I think there's also a pages experience that you have as mm-hmm. well. Yep. Right. And even just figuring out. So it comes down to like untangling my mental model of like, okay, I've got a Facebook page. I've got a Facebook group. I've got Facebook ads. I've got myself as a, as a person on Facebook, there's all these entities and the relationships are not clear on who owns what. Okay. I can post as Sophia. I actually built a system model of this to like Mm. reverse engineer it. But I was like, okay, so as Sophia, I can post I can post to the Facebook group as Sophia or as Rewired. And then if I'm on the page, I get like, I actually couldn't even tell you right now how posting as me versus posting as a group for, I don't think I can post as a group. See, it's just, it's not clear in my head um, on how all these pieces work together. Yeah. I I think it's a, I do think it's a, an interesting uh, sort of conversation around, you know, like hierarchy, taxonomy, like how does all of this, 
what do the relationships look like? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can probably assume, uh, you know, based on these different systems, and this is just, you know, throughout, like based on these systems, then you have different roles on those different experiences. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, mm-hmm. and so now, now it's sort of like, Hey, you know, I have this product that I want to sell or service that I want to sell. And uh, I want to do it like now, but I have now opted into all of this like complexity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it'd be interesting to understand like how much people like just don't use it, like how much people are missing out on. Right. Um, and so I, I will say there, there is a bit of a draw <laughs> where, you know, look on these platforms, there's a ton of people that I can interact with. I think that, I think that's probably the attraction and uh, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of sort of enterprise software, right? Like super complex old software that you've had to use in your previous job. You had to use it because that's what your, your company opted into, <laughs> right? Like yeah. you have, you have no choice, but I think, um, I think what's really interesting is the, 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 the level of expectations of ease of use have the standards have increased for the everyday consumer, right? It's like, you know, if I'm using like in the old Blackberry, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, people like Blackberries, but whatever. Like if, if, if I use an old Blackberry today, people are like, what are you doing? Like you should have an iPhone and, and, or a Samsung and it's a full screen, right? It's in full color, nice mm-hmm. cameras. Before that wasn't a thing before the iPhone, Right. And so everyone has said, you know, what, this is the standard. And so I think one of one of my biggest things really kind of and what, what I love about enterprise apps, just the opportunity to make things easier for people. Like, how can we get to a point where people do have that moment of I need to do what I need to do? And it's super simple. I get it. And I'm seeing the results. I'm getting the value that I wanted or even more than I expected. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it makes me think of the saying that like revolutions happen when, uh, reality does not meet expectation. Yeah. Like if you grew up in a society, an oppressed society, uh, maybe you growing up in North Korea or something like that, you're, there's no revolution because the expectations, this is the expectation of what life is. And when those expectations and reality get, (laughs) get out of sync. And so what's happening is people are using these consumer tools. They get Mm -hmm. these expectations of this is what software should be like. Like, yeah, I don't care that, you know, oh, there was no competition, Mm -hmm. you know, when when whoever bought this and, and that's when you get like the buyer and the user is two different people. Um, Mm. And when the buyer and the user is two different people, usually that's where the system's are kind of shitty (laughs) because the buyer isn't the user like, yeah, this will be fine. Um, And then those expectations get off and people revolt. I mean, I think that's what's happening is people are rejecting some of these pieces of software. What's happening though with enterprise software is what I see is people, they say, okay, we're going to do a redesign. And what happens is no conceptual model is built. There's no conceptual modeling. There's no figuring out what are the objects, what are the relationships, how do people mm. think about this world? Yeah. And we redesign the UI and we clean mm-hmm. up the UI and we make it look pretty and make it, oh, all of a sudden it looks like, you know, like an Instagram interface or something like that, but it still yeah. has all the complexity, but none of that has been tackled. And what happens is you just made it worse for your user because yeah. they knew they knew exactly how to use that ugly ass piece of software. Mm-hmm. They knew all their little workarounds. They had all their little sticky notes. They, they knew exactly what to do. And so you didn't actually tackle any of the complexity. You just right. move the cheese around. And right. so then the, the software gets rejected. You spend $2 million on the redesign and you made it worse. Yeah. 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 I, and I mean, I think, I think like the, you've made it, you've, you've made it worse, but you've also created a level of debt, right? Cause you've invested so much time, um, you know, you now kind of have to potentially course correct the things that you should have done on the outset, but now you've added this whole redesign layer on top of it. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, I think I probably think about, well, no, I, I shouldn't, I, I would say, I think like when it comes to like the definition of a product designer, I think it's like, you know, there's obviously always like this conversation, what is a product designer, but, uh, or UX designer, product designer. Um, I will say, you know, how do you achieve your desired outcome that you set out to, to, to do. And that means actually working with and just understanding and having like the sensibility of, Hey, we're going to be investing a lot of time here, right? Like we don't want to, we don't want to go through these redesigns over and over again, right? Where can we get down to the fundamentals that can set expectations where everyone has a shared language, right? And I think that's like the power of really kind of the object-oriented approach mm-hmm. uh, is because, you know, our engineering teams are thinking about things this way, right? Um, and I, I really do think it is kind of like, sort of like that central DNA in terms of how people are interacting with, with, with the data in your system, right? How, how they're interacting with it for their workflows. Um, and so I think if you can really fundamentally understand that, you don't have to like reinvent the wheel every single time. It's additive. Now it's all about onboarding and, you know, hey, does this make sense? Yeah. Can we make it consistent throughout? Awesome. If we can't today, when can we do it? Uh, exactly. And we must do this because these are the expectations that folks have. Exactly. I think that a, a lot of redesigns, what happens is you end up, instead of creating a platform, a mm-hmm. strong foundation to grow off of, you end yeah. up creating you almost you create that UX and technical debt where you've just actually created a box for yourself mm-hmm. where it's actually harder to grow from it. Exactly. And and people and that isn't an interest of saving time. Like we just got to get straight into wireframes. Like we got to start wireframing mm-hmm. this. We don't have time to take all that research and synthesize it into information architecture <laughs> to figure out yeah. like because it you don't want to iterate on your information architecture. No. That's like iterating on the walls in your house. Like you don't want to be doing that. It's expensive work. Like do it every five years or something. Go back to your information architecture or it's like, oh, let's add this extra piece of metadata here. Okay. Like we can Mm -hmm. like upgrading an object is easy. Even adding a new object in is easy. But once we're, when we're thinking about all of these flows Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about these task flows and we just kind of overlap task flow on top of task flow on top of task flow. We end up with a bowl of spaghetti <laughs> task yeah. flows and it becomes this like almost like really fragile spider web when we need to add something or change something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like having the objects there is fine. And I think what you'll find in terms of like the redesign over, excuse me, the, the redesign of the information architecture, you're not redesigning the objects you might change the rooms that the objects are in and Mm -hmm. and if i think you put a critical lens to it that room can provide more context in terms of what you should do with the with that and so as you scale i think it's right to think that yeah people might interact with our objects totally different or we might come up with new tools where we might centralize or we might expand the rooms um and so i think having that sense of flexibility going in and say you know what Look, if we can get it right now, we, we, we should 100% be open to iterating on this. We're not going to change the foundation, mm-hmm. but we know that potentially it could be beneficial to us, especially when it comes to messaging, go to market, like long-term where we, where we headed. Does this build us in a way where we can, not only us, right? Because that's good for our adoption. Um, more context also can be better adoption, Right. Uh, because you have a set of expectations that people can go in, but it's good for the user. And it's obviously going to be good for, for the products that you're building as well. Mm-hmm. When you say context, um, context mm-hmm. is such a important yet squishy word. When you say like, when we're giving <laughs> the user more context, what do you actually, what do you mean by context? Oh, uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. So, uh, you know, I think Context can come in so many different ways. I know we were, we kind of touched on this at a high level. Context can be a number of different things, in my, you know, to me. So for one, you might have settings, right? You might have a certain role. There may be certain actions you can do within that certain context, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, additional context might be, let's say I have a certain type of objects that share the same sort of traits. Uh, imagine what that can do for me. Right. Then we start thinking about 
uh, you know, our content strategy, right? Mm -hmm. How can we build something that sets, like, think about it from a hierarchy, right? Like, how can I set the stage and really let these objects shine? And then how can we use that shared language for somebody to onboard or understand what those things mean, right? Mm -hmm. This is very, very high level. Um, but you know, it's, it's similar to like, you know, if you're going down a grocery aisle, (laughs) right. You know, if you're going down like the grains, you know, you're probably going to find like, you know, all the noodles that you need to find. Right. Right. You, you, you kind of in the set, like, you know what I need, I need the, the noodles before I get the pasta sauce that's in produce. Right. There's, there's a benefit to that because you know exactly where to find things. Exactly. Yeah. And it comes down to those, the relationships between the things. So, Mm -hmm. uh, which you touched on earlier and how important those relationships are between the things. And I think like relationships are important for two reasons. One to drive navigation between the things. Like if they're related in my head, I want to be able to navigate between them. You know, Mm -hmm. company, person working at the company, person working at the company has a company. So if I'm looking at a person, I should be able to navigate to their company I'm in the company and should be able to navigate all the people working in the company. So navigation, Mm -hmm. but also to define the things like how people and companies, like how am I related to this company? How, if I'm looking at a company, am I the owner of the company? Um, Mm -hmm. Am I the ads manager for the company? Have I applied for a job at this company? So what is my relationship to that thing kind of defines? Yes. Like how does that company sit in my context? Exactly. Um, based on like what you're saying, like roles, like what can I do to this? Co- yep. And what, company? and what do you, what is the information that you can see? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And what can other people see, which is mm-hmm. really a tough thing with permissions um, mm. where like how many times we run into, I think of mural mural is, is the bad about this about like, well, I can do this thing and then I'll share it with somebody else. And they're like, Oh, I don't see that button. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. oh no, like, I don't know what the other permissions can and can't see. And then how do we do yeah. that without information overload? So like, what is my context, mm. but what is somebody else's context right. coming into this? And how can I, how can we communicate that to the user? And I, and I would, I would almost say like, if there's messaging that may not be there, where can I go to find it? Right. Is there anything at the top of my head? If I click on this menu where I'm like, oh, okay, this makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Right. It may not be something I need to see every single day, but, you know, in the right time, in the right context, in the right situation, I know exactly where to go to see these things. Oh my gosh. Yes. Messaging and how the system communicates to the person, mm-hmm. understanding the context that they're in. Yeah. I just, I, I, 100% of the time, whenever I get some sort of message that like a new feature is being introduced or, yeah. you know, maintenance is happening or something like that. I am like a, starting a meeting. I've just opened up a new file. There's six, seven, six or seven people watching my screen yeah. right now. And you're trying to introduce a new feature to me. Like you don't understand what's going on with me. Um, yeah. And I might actually want to spend three minutes understanding this new feature. Um, mm. But like, and then you just close it out. There's no like, remind me later or something right. like that. So yeah, understanding the system needs to understand the context of the user. The user needs to understand the context of the yeah. stuff. And then there's the wider context of like, where does my whole system mm-hmm. fit with other systems? Like where exactly. does LinkedIn ads mm-hmm. fit in with the wider scope of LinkedIn? How does LinkedIn fit in the professional in the, in the world of, you know, yeah. do, y'all, do y'all do any of that at LinkedIn where you really kind of map out how does how does LinkedIn sit into the wider context of course for our users? Yeah, of course. So I mean, I think I think, and this is this is the same for most software. People aren't like sitting on LinkedIn all day, right? Like, uh, you know, similar to this, like we're on Zoom. We've got Docs. Uh, you might yourself, you might have a CRM that you're working with. Um, you know, you might be trying to capture leads. You might have another system that you're doing for that. Um, and so really it comes down to like, how, how can we understand in the, the interplay between the different apps and, and sort of the context, but most importantly, uh, how can you get the data that you need to help you inform those campaigns that you're running? Uh, mm-hmm. Vice versa, you might have a class, maybe, you know, you want to connect with folks on LinkedIn. Maybe there's a a group that you want to start so people can follow up. 
Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot there. Um, you know, I think we have a lot of amazing sort of organic tools for folks to engage with. Um, and, um, you know, with those organic tools, like, you know, when, when I say organic, it's sort of like your posts, it's like your newsletters, um, photos, videos, you might say, you know, this is really great content. Uh, maybe I want to sponsor it. Right. Um, there's a lot of those types of things. And like, what does the workflow look like for you to, to do these types of things? Right. If you're coming from another, another sort of advertising app. Right. So I think that's like important with any of the work that <laughs> you're doing, you should understand how folks are working uh, because that's, that's, what's going to make them use your, come back and, and use your system. Um, and so I, I think that's an integral part of, of like what we do. We work super hard with our, our research team to really kind of understand these things. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's an interesting, I, I think again, on the, on the object side, I think it's actually very interesting at the point, the, the point that you make, like, you're, you're still the same person on LinkedIn that you are in our enterprise app and hopefully that you are in real life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, you have these different modes that you're in, right? And I'm sure for most people, this might be familiar, you're working for a company, maybe at some point you're going to be a job seeker. And so, you know, there's certain information you don't want folks seeing or knowing or interacting with. So that, that I think like keeping that trust and that privacy piece is, is important. I think understanding relationships around sort of the objects and those properties, you have a better handling in terms of what is going to be exposed. Um, mm -hmm. Because in, at the end of the day, like there are potentially, uh, you know, damaging consequences if not handled properly. And so right. I think it's important that when you're thinking about these things, this is also a responsibility of, of trust. It's not just like how we handle data. Um, I mean, you, you need to really kind of bubble it up in terms of understanding, like, how do people feel when they see these types of things? Yeah, I mean, so the example that I'm thinking of when it comes to, you know, what, like, like I am, like, basically on, on LinkedIn, I am an object on LinkedIn. I am, a, <laughs> I am an instance of a person object on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also an instance, I also manage an instance of a company object, but when it comes mm. to so Sophia as potentially a user behind the scenes of rewired versus mm -hmm. like Sophia as like acting as, I mean, really as a, as a, as an entity within yeah. LinkedIn and who sees what about me. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be so clear within these systems. So yeah. one thing that we talk about um, in the OUX world is uh, is um, relative attributes. So mm. attributes that might be, um, there's permissions, but then there's also like, do just because I, you know, just because I bookmarked this thing doesn't mean yeah. that you're going to see it as bookmarked too. So bookmarked right. might be a relative attribute. Can other people see that I bookmarked this thing? Mm -hmm. um, or even like like the when LinkedIn introduced open for work, the, the yeah. little green open for work thing, I was really mm -hmm. curious. I was like, do I what does when I'm looking at that, does everybody see that? Yeah. Does, do other people, if they're working at a company, do other people at their company like not mm -hmm. see that or something? Like I was actually really curious about how it worked. And yeah. actually, right now it's still not clear. I'm not, I I'm 99% convinced that everybody mm. sees the open for work, but I'm still like, part of me is like, but does everybody see it? And yeah. how clear is that to everybody when they turn the open for work sign mm. on who actually is seeing? like, maybe some people think that just recruiters are going to see it um, right. and that their boss isn't going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that brings an interesting topic. I, I would probably say over the past three, four years. Uh, and it's really around like opting in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it's, there's been a lot of laws like <laughs> around the world around like opting in. I think GDPR is probably one of the biggest movers uh, in that. And so, um, you know, and, and I'm sure you all know, like when you go on a website and they ask if they can track you with cookies, like that, that's an outcome of like GDPR. And so, mm -hmm. Uh, we'll probably see more of that like in the future, but I think it goes to show how important transparency is. Um, and 
again, I think it's, I think like what you're speaking to is the sensitivity of these types of things, right? Like in this context, is this relative, if this, is this a relative attribute that other folks can see? Cause again, like you're, you're worried about the outcome of it, right? Like, how is this going to reflect on me? And you're no longer an object, just basically an object in the system, right? Like this is, this is sort of your career, right? Mm -hmm. These are opportunities for you. Now there could be something very beneficial on the other end as well. Right. And, and uh, I think I don't want that to be lost. Like I think a lot of folks that are doing like the open to network that are doing the open to work, they have had some life-changing experiences. Um, but for some folks, I think that that's a, that's a huge amount of friction. Um, and so I think it is sort of having, having that balance of having the transparency, being able to clearly describe sort of what this does. And I, again, like mm -hmm. when we talk about like the context, when we talk about like the wording, that plays a really big role because also in a sense, like you, you don't want to be in a situation where you've got these different levels of visibility and objects that you're interacting with that aren't together because <laughs> now you can't connect the dots. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. And so again, like that's, that's a whole other really challenge here where if you're not, if you don't have that strategy going into it, um, it's going to be very difficult to really kind of reconcile it. So when you were saying that, do you mean like, I affect like what, what I see a lot is I might affect something on this object mm -hmm. and there's actually a chain reaction and there's something else happening mm -hmm. over on maybe another object. Mm -hmm. Um, or yeah. like I, I, the Andrew Hinton talks about in his book, understanding context. Have you read that mm. one? I have not. Oh, you would love it. Oh. Uh, so he talks about Facebook beacon. And when Facebook Beacon came uh, yeah. out and you would put, you would uh, buy something on one site mm -hmm. and it would actually automatically create a post on a post. Facebook yeah. that like you bought that thing. <laughs> and it was really unclear that the thing I was doing in this system, when yeah. I was, I was creating something in this, I was creating a new order in this system, or I was buying a product in this system was actually creating a socially mm. exposed post about that in another system and it was so yeah. heavily rejected people like freaked the heck out um, yeah. so is that kind of what you're talking about like these sort of chain reactions that are not necessarily clear to the user yeah yeah and you can imagine the complexity of that when you get into a large enterprise system where you have different levels of permissions right maybe you're going to make a change and it's a sweeping change right mm -hmm. um and i you know, I think you might go into work and you might see that some information on a campaign or a sales contact had totally changed that you didn't know. <laughs> right. Uh, and so like understanding that's really important because that might affect some of the things that you're tracking, right. It mm -hmm. may affect some of the work and the documentation. And so again, it, it's, it's a level of transparency and communicating. Not all of that necessarily is a bad thing, but people should expect it, right? Like it shouldn't be a surprise. Mm -hmm, um, right. And so I think like, that's why, again, like the opt-in is so important because it's like, if I opt into this for specifically downloading your PDF, I didn't, I didn't opt into your newsletter. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't expect for that. Why am I receiving something from you? Right. Um, right. And so we, we need to be very conscious of the, the those things that we are doing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, gosh, I just think of, I just lost my train of thought. Cause I was like, is it clear on OAUX.com that when you, <laughs> when you download, <laughs> when you download the object or UX quick start guide that yes, you are getting on my newsletter, easy unsubscribe, yeah. one, one click unsubscribe. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, those things just need to be so transparent to people that like how um, oh, what I was thinking of was inheritance. So if mm -hmm. I change, like, let's say I have a campaign and there's a lot of posts that go out from that campaign. So there's like yeah. this kind of, there's a relationship between the posts that are underneath that campaign. And then I change something about that campaign. And mm -hmm. then there's that trickle down effect where it changes things about the post. Yeah. And how do we make that clear to the user? And it comes down to like, we need to understand all that. Like if we don't mm. understand our objects and all the relationships and even especially inheritance between objects and like multi-level yeah. inheritance, 
we're, we'll never be able to communicate it to our user. If we're yeah. not on our team and everybody on the team comes down to that shared language. If we don't have a shared language around these things and how all these things relate, then how do we ever expect that our users are going to get it, that we'll design something that our users will understand? Yeah. And I think, I think what I love about this discussion is that we're talking about these trickle down effects. We're talking about inheritance. Like I know we're just having a conversation, but can you imagine you ask yourself, are we having these discussions like off the bat? Like when we're talking about, you know, the experiences that we have. And I think that's why like getting to the core of the object and the relationships. And again, like if I change some of those attributes, how does that work its way down? Because now we can say, oh, you know what? Like we might want to put something here <laughs> to, to tell someone. And we're taking a stance on that, mm -hmm. right? So if we believe in trust and building trust, like in our system, and that's a core sort of, uh, you know, a core sort of uh, tenant in the way that we deliver our work, then we commit to it. Mm -hmm. And we, we already know where we're going to do it. We know the context that we have. Um, and so I, again, I think it's, I think it's important for us, like as design, while I think it's great, we should hundred percent be informing the work that we do through research. Uh, we should, we should also just be very clear uh, and have a stance in terms of like what we represent, like we should have a principled approach mm -hmm. in terms of what we do. Um, and so I think this is a really great sort of opportunity to, to kind of do that. So I think there's, there's a few sort of things, right? How do we approach the objects? I think that that's a principled approach. I think another sort of thing that we think about is sort of the, the relationship with design systems. Mm -hmm. um, because I think like those two things alone are going to play a huge role in the foundation and the consistency uh, of your platform moving forward. And so, um, you know, objects really kind of center on, like if we're thinking about like, you know, the um, sort of like what that object is, what those properties or attributes are, the actions that can do with that. Now, if we bring that to the relationship, like a simple, a simple kind of relationship around a design system, for instance, might be on a table or it might be with cards mm -hmm. and we can almost sort of say like what does navigation of that look like well we can we don't have to necessarily iterate like we it almost is implied we already know what we can filter by we already know how we can sort we already know the search functions so we're not reinventing the wheel a lot of that stuff is actually already out of the package and we also have a ton of other attributes that you know based on our research and based on how people the things that people care about, we can choose what we want to display in a certain view or not. Right. Um, so I, I think there's, there's a lot there where it helps us as designers to come to decisions quicker. Right. And, and like, I'm not, I'm not a manager that's like, you know, I'm looking at how many hours that designers are working. I, I don't think that is a measure of, of growth, but I will say, if the question is how can we be, you know, better strategic partners, I think it's coming decisions quicker because that's going to open up discussions about other things. I mean, you said this earlier, like we don't want to be reinventing the wheel all the time. And that's what mm -hmm. design systems help us with. Um, the thing is, is when I was talking to Dan Mall about this, about mm -hmm. how design systems and, and object or UX kind of work together and yeah. how object or UX is kind of the UX system for your mm -hmm. design system yeah. and design systems are so often, and I want to hear what you have to think about this, but design systems are so often, this is taking like straight from Dan Mall. They're, they're like a box of Ikea parts without mm. any instructions on yeah. how to actually, <clears throat> excuse me, use those Ikea yeah. parts. And I feel like that's where object-oriented UX and object-oriented thinking can come in. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's your instructions. That's your UX yeah. system on how to actually implement the design system. How do we put these things together? And what is the, I often think of like the design system as sort of, it's the packaging, right? It's, yeah. it's the ergonomic on-brand consistent packaging, but what is mm -hmm. being packaged? And yeah. how do we get this, that in sync? So we have really nice alignment on all our little bits of packaging and we can say, yeah. okay, well, if you're making a person, here's how you use the design system. If you're mm -hmm. making an event, here's how you use the design system. If you're making like, 
here's the seven or eight main objects we have within the LinkedIn world, probably another 10 or so specific business ones for, um, yeah. for marketing solutions, but here's our things and here's our best practices on packaging those things yeah. using that design system. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, I love like this, this is awesome. So I, I think, I think like, I think that's, that's, that's a great point. I think one of the things that also comes to mind for me um, is if you think about the objects at its core and what the actions are with those properties, that also allows you to have a decision-making process of like, Hey, do we really need this? Is there something else in our system that does the same thing? Yes. Right. And yes. so, um, you know, yeah, I'm not a big fan of like UX refreshes because you can still have 20 different representations of the same object, right? We're not reconciling anything. Um, and so it really allows you and forces you to have a critical decision-making process of like, hey, if we introduce something else, how does this look in the whole system? Uh-huh. Right? Like, again, I always say, what are people's expectations here? And I think the challenge for us is even more difficult because you've got folks that are using the LinkedIn platform on the consumer side where they have a set of expectations for specific components that they interact with. And then in campaign manager, they might be totally different, like depending on sort of like the context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, like anybody that's working on a design system, I think it's, it's important to sort of say, you know what, like if we have this object-oriented experience, what, what types of objects are these components going to be used for? Do we need to have a different approach to this? I will probably say people aren't looking for two different types of tables or three different types of tables, right? They might be looking for a different kind of view because they might be doing more focused work. But, you know, nine times out of 10, they just want the consistent experience to know where things are to get it done. Um, and so I think, it again, I think it's a good sort of like, practice to, you know, practice to, to approach just, um, you know, moderation, um, maintaining a whole set of, uh, large components is a lot of work. And so, you know, that's also potentially designed debt over time. Um, so how can we really make things simple, intuitive, and, and easy like that? That's really what it comes down to, right? Again, these are very foundational principles. This just helps you execute on it way in a more effective way and a more efficient way. It's just that it's that saying of it's, you know, it takes uh, like any, anyone can make something more complex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what's really tough is making something simple. And it's so yeah. easy for us. Like I, I do this. I do this on OUX.com. I just did this. Yeah. I introduced a new thing and I was like, wait a second. I already have this thing over here on this other page. Mm-hmm. I could have just reused this less yeah. work for me, less work for the user, because now I could have had, instead of having two things that they have to understand and like process, yeah. I could just have used the same thing. And so it's so easy for us to do this, to introduce these new concepts. And what we have mm-hmm. to remember is that like, there is a cost to that. There's a yeah. cost in, you know, our work and also in cognitive load for the user. Like, mm-hmm do we really need to introduce this new thing? And if we have a process for that to say, like to vet yeah. it and be like, okay, no, we really need this, this entirely new concept. We can't just like tweak or expand or, or upgrade this other existing concept um, yeah. where the user kind of already understands this thing. Let's just like make this one stronger versus yeah. introducing a whole new thing. Like I would on OUX.com, I've been having this battle of, events versus resources. Is an event a resource? (laughs) Is it a type of resource? Um, But it has a date and a time. It's different than the timestamp. And this has been like a big philosophical issue, but like really putting a lot of thought in that and like, are these two things the same thing? Or do we really need to create a new concept? Because that's something that the user is going to have to learn and we're going to have to create and manage. Yeah. And and that's actually a really interesting uh, kind of point you make. Um, I don't know. Like, I do you build? Is your website like built on something like WordPress? Webflow, Webflow, oh, Webflow. all day long. Yes, Webflow. So, I mean, at least in the early days, I feel like WordPress almost kind of forced you to think in that way. Of like, you know, when you're coding it, like these are the objects, here are the properties. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you're building on the web, it you're probably a little bit closer to that. 
Um, I would encourage folks, if you're trying to like practice like the concepts of like objects, I mean, work on that Webflow site, work on that mm -hmm. WordPress site, because now you're starting to kind of think about those things. So I, I, I wonder, yeah. like, is that some, does it force you in that mentality? Well, the reason yeah. I love Webflow is because of their content management system and the yeah. way that you can connect and you can do a single reference, you can do a multi-reference. So it's really easy to create the relationships between the mm -hmm. things and actually yeah. do like, like, like pass through or pull through data. So like I can mm. take data from what even like two objects removed now they've introduced it. Like I can take wow. relationship to relationship. I can pull data onto that screen from mm -hmm. two, I think two relationships removed. It's pretty amazing. So that's yeah. why I use Webflow. But we we recently had an OUX happy hour uh, where Lisa Lombardi, hi Lisa, talked about um, Notion and how mm. she's using Notion in an object-oriented way. But like all these tools, all these no-code or low-code tools, Airtable, yeah. Notion, um, definitely Webflow. Yeah. What the blockers when people are blocked by that? And they, they get a little bit confused is because they're, they don't have that kind of database thinking. Right. And object yeah. UX is like basically yeah. creating a database reuser center perspective. It, um, it is. Yeah. So. Airtable Air Air is a great job of forcing you into that. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that as like the central kind of data, I mean, we could, we could nerd out on this. I actually started a Twitter thread yesterday of like, Hey, what are some no code apps that folks are, are using? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, would I would encourage folks listening to just start interacting with Airtable and pulling in that data into something like Webflow. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's start, starting to use those tools will definitely. And, you know, maybe you're creating a relational database without having mm -hmm. to worry about, like, you know, where your semicolon is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I don't know if relational database coding uses semicolons i'm sure there is but like you don't have to learn the language you're learning a visual yeah. language instead and also a way of thinking really exactly. and that's and it's I, i'm i'm friends with the guys at adala which is another um no code app developer mm. and i went and ran a workshop with them because they were realizing yeah. is that was the blocker with adoption people could mm -hmm. put their ux designers and visual designers or their customers and they could build screens all day, but figuring out how to organize the database, mm -hmm. that's where they were getting drop off. Yeah. And people aren't seeing our industry. We're really not there yet. And thinking about yeah. databases, um, we need to get back on script because we have like five minutes and oh. we've completely <laughs> gone off script here. So I'm definitely going to be hounding you for a follow-up. We won't do it at six o'clock in the morning. Okay. I do want to talk. I want to get one last question in. Um, sure. So you recently posted an article on mm -hmm. LinkedIn called object-oriented design um, for product designers, specifically for product yeah. designers. And mm -hmm. um, I think you put in a post that was like your first article in 10 I, years or something. Well, it's a, it's a, it was a, I know I realized that almost, almost over dramatized. It's as for me being a LinkedIn member, it was the uh -huh. first time that I actually posted an article after being on the platform for, okay. So you, you'd been doing yeah. some writing, but you were like, I got to get this out on LinkedIn. And yeah. I think that, yes, yeah. you had posted it to medium before. Yep, um, exactly. It was just so amazing to read that it was so validating. Cause it was like, we were just yeah. coming to the exact same conclusions, almost yeah. like using slightly different words, attributes versus properties. Sure. Um, but really coming to the same conclusion. And yeah. I'm just curious, like what motivated you to write mm. that article? Like, what were you seeing? What was, um, what was frustrating and why do you, <laughs> what, what motivated you to actually like get cracking on the keyboard? Yeah. So, so, you know, like, I think the concept um, is, is not new to me, right? Like, I think I will say that that article is probably 10 years removed from my start went from when I started thinking about this, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I do have a background in coding. Uh, I'm not sure if folks on the call are familiar with programming like Java, like, you know, creating objects was a lot of lines of code <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that you would kind of do like in the head of the work that you were doing before you started. And so, um, you know, I, I remember at least kind of working at base, we were going through, again, sort of like moving into a design system and, and really kind of reconciling with everything. Um, and I think like the general motivation was around, uh, you know, objects, how they're represented, 
uh, how they're relative to each other. Um, I think in terms of how that might apply itself, I think I got a lot of, lot of, uh, there's a lot of inspiration from like the Google design system, the original one that had come out, uh, a while ago. And so I was actually having a conversation with one of my designers of like, Hey, like we don't, let's try to aim for consistency. Cause like on this table, most people have expectations that on the other side, they're going to see this type of view. Um, and I realized like, you know what, we're all working with this type of dynamic in everything that we do. And so it was a, honestly kind of a way for me to just sort of like ground the team in terms of, hey, this is what object oriented experiences are. Here's how they relate. When we think about a design system, here's how they might come together. And so that article that I wrote really kind of goes through kind of establishing what it is, again, sort of like, you know, what an object is, the properties, uh, the actions. Um, and then at the end, I kind of went through sort of how these might represent itself on an interface. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of a like a high, super high level crash course, I think. Um, because as a manager, I'm also not going to like tell them how to do things like all the time. I want mm -hmm. them to sort of say, hey, take it, run with it. Let's see where you guys go. Um, and so that was really kind of the motivation out of it. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a conversation now that, you know, we're starting to have not only in design, but we're starting to have it with our product team. I think engineering is starting to also understand the benefit of that shared language. And in my experience before, I think working directly with our engineering team on the design system, it was something that they really started to understand. And even, I think the benefit of that is like, in terms of how they were programming uh, the design system, uh, I think now it's related to as tokens. Like that also informed how they were building like their their tokens, how they were building the specific objects. And so, I I can always I always remember like before we had that the working relationship was just always it was always a lot of friction because like oh we got to build something else we're building more debt in our code. But I think the moment we started thinking about a design system at the objects level, that's when folks were like okay this makes sense. We started moving faster. So again, the benefits of it are huge because now we don't have to go to the plate on every new project. We don't have to think about what objects are, some permutation of an object is. We already have a set understanding of what it is, how it is displayed, what we can do with it. And now we can get to actually solving the problems and creating, you know, creating value for, for our members. That's amazing. And there's so many more things that I want to get into. I mean, we didn't give in, I think that there's a conversation on APIs here. There's a conversation mm -hmm. on accessibility. We get, we yeah. need to get more into permissions. So yeah. I'm definitely going to be hounding you for a follow-up, but thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. much for being here. This was an awesome conversation. Um, I'm going to link to your LinkedIn. I'm going to link to your article <laughs> anywhere. Uh, technically speaking, I'll also yeah. link to that awesome podcast as well. Um, anywhere else we need to make sure to link people to, so they can find you. I think, I think you got everything. Yeah. Okay, technically cool. speaking, LinkedIn, harrisonwheeler.com. Uh, but again, Sophia, thanks for, for having me on. This is a great conversation. It was definitely a way to start the day. <laughs> yeah. Fired up now. Okay. Yeah. All, right, all right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Have fun with your family today and um, we'll be talking soon. All right. Thanks, all Sophia. Right. Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit objectorientux.com slash podcast for show notes. Our soundtrack is Fighter by Ruby Bell, courtesy of 